welcome everybody to another episode of Halitech Hall. Good morning, Mr. Halitech. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, Double A. How are you today? Doing good. You know, we're uh, we're uh, ready for a, another layoff uh, here. It seems like every other week we have some sort of uh, strange period of time in between Bears games, and this one's uh, unfortunately uh, going to feel even longer after that. Uh, debacle in london it truly was a debacle right from i mean the very first possession the bears and the just seemed to be out of it uh they seemed lethargic uh, both on offense and defense i can't uh, i can't discredit the uh, critics who have been saying that they should have gone out there earlier. Obviously, they woke up in the second half after getting a tongue lashing from Coach Nagy. But uh, it was uh, it was sad to see this defense get manhandled the way they did by a team that everybody thought was not going to be that good. And they just came out and gave the Bears offense and defense an ass whooping. Yep, that's pretty much what it was. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I'm sure that the jet lag played a little bit of a role, but I don't know that um, them being fresher would have stopped, uh, you know, the amount of uh, cut blocks and the way that they were just getting blown off the ball. And then, I mean, I think as soon as Akeem Hicks went out, I think the air just kind of came out of the defense. Um but, you know, he I, I didn't think Akeem Hicks looked sluggish or tired or anything. And then he got hurt. Um, and after that, the middle of the defense was just wide open. They were cut blocking uh, Goldman all day. And then he started playing off the ball basically to, you know, to stop that. And, I mean, once, once that happens – all over and then they were uh, rolling away from Mac and basically running the ball to the opposite side of Mac all day and so Mac was kind of rendered ineffective and then the other guys didn't really step up the way they needed to Uh, Floyd didn't really do much and uh, Roy Robertson Harris didn't really do much Nick Williams didn't really do much Jonathan Harris and you know they uh, they did not step up but you know the Raiders I think were were better than a lot of people were giving them credit for. Um, but at the same time, certainly a game that, that the Bears should have won. They should have. And we talked about this earlier. I absolutely abhor the concept of when we lose, when we when the Bears lose, I'm not part of the team, when the Bears lose, people say, well, it's only one game. No. It's not just one game. It's one-sixteenth of your season. How many games did the Bears lose last year that they shouldn't have lost? And how many games did they finish out of a bye week in the in the playoffs? The answer is one game out of the playoffs picture. Right. They, they literally should have won three of the four games that they lost and they had a fighting chance at the end of the game with the, with New England. So it's not just one game. It's a big part of your schedule. There's too many people out there going, yeah, it's one game, especially after the Green Bay game. But now we've got two losses where we realistically could have, should have been 5-0, and oh, and you're last in the division again. You went from last 
to first back to last in eight days. Yep. In eight days. You talked a little bit earlier, just a few seconds ago, about all the cut blocking. And I want to give a shout out to not only a fan of our podcast, he's a fan of other Bears podcasts. He's a big fan of Tick Splits. He lives in London. His name is Bear. He goes by the name Bearlissimo. And Bearlissimo put together some tape highlighting the cut blocks that were happening all game long. In fact, there was one tape where they they were actually they bitched about the cut blocking that Incognito was doing, and on the very next play, they finally called one of them. Uh, they were you know they were smart. They being the uh, uh, Oakland Raiders, uh, they were cut blocking. They were trying to do it legally, but there were a couple of times where, especially the center was still engaged with Goldman when uh, Incognito would go down low. Uh, they were going down low to the to the guy uh, on the on the end as well. And I can I didn't see the number. I don't know who it was exactly. It could have been Harris. It, it was it was after. Uh, it was after Hicks was out of the game. So yeah, well, they were they were at max feet all day too. They they were they were yeah. they absolutely and you know going at his knees. Yep. Which which I thought was pretty lousy. Um, yeah. Sounds hey, like the know, Raiders to me. Car, yeah, karma's <laughs> karma's a bitch and you know I I hate to say this but um, I hope they don't get penalized for it when they play Green Bay. <laughs> but right. then thereafter, because right. if, if they if they take that away from their running attack, uh, Green Bay is going to walk all over Oakland when they play them in. A, I think they play them in a couple of weeks. So yeah. it's it's it was a shame. Uh, it's going to get highlighted and it's going to get talked about uh, around right. the league. And and I'm sure the officials are going to be looking for it uh, after this game. I can't. I didn't see any film of uh, the, their offense prior to this game. So I don't know if they were doing it before this game or not, but it clearly was a tactic that they decided to use at the beginning of the game. This yeah, was, this from, was, this from, was game planned in. Yeah. I didn't watch it, but from what I understand, they, they used a similar tactic against Denver um, and they, they pretty well neutralized Chubb and Von Miller, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that bothered me was that nobody seemed to like, I mean, you don't want to lose your cool and get penalties or anything like that, but, but you know, you got a guy like Richie Incognito who's pretty well known as a dirty player and didn't seem like anybody was standing up to him. And I think that was another bad byproduct of Akeem Hicks going out because he's really, I mean, you know, Mac is who he is, but Akeem Hicks is the heart and soul of that defense. And, with him out, it just seemed like their toughness kind of left, you know, and, and uh, not, you know, I don't think, I, I think Mac had the same amount of effort as he normally did, but without him disrupting and causing problems, you know, the other guys just didn't really step up and they didn't really have a chance. I mean, they had, they had one quarterback hit and it was by Mac and they had nothing else. They had no sacks. They had no tackles for loss. They had, they had nothing. And I think the biggest, the worst part about all of it is you take all that away is we're in the game. We have the lead in the fourth quarter and they, we let them drive 97 yards 
to win the game. I just, I mean, you want to talk about Chase Daniel? Fine. You know, he, he, he played like a backup, but he also made some great throws and and got them back into that game. And But if, once again, just like the Philly game, the defense had the chance to win the game, and they didn't do it. You know that they let Jacobs gash them. They let they let the they let a rookie tight end, you know, maul them and and get open. They let I mean the Raiders don't even have any receivers. Their their best receiver was out, like so, you know it, it's the, the Bears still had a chance to win that game even after all that was said and done and even the way that they played and even with the picks and everything else. I mean if the defense just does its job then we're not even talking about the, the, the terrible interception at the end of the game. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just frustrating. I mean, you can't, I mean, I guess you could say you can't lean on the defense every week and they're eventually going to, you know, but it's like, well, it seems like in the fourth quarter of every game, they've been, you know, they've been uh, suspect. So, you know, I don't, I don't just sit there and go, well, we can't expect them to play great every week. I'm like, well, n- no, we can't. Like, I don't know. I think they're pretty great. Like, so I don't know. That was what was frustrating to me. When they were playing the Redskins and they let up those touchdowns at the, uh, in the fourth quarter, you know, they were playing uh, loose. They were playing to keep everything in front of them. They were playing not to lose. And um, wasn't exactly a prevent defense. And the, the best line I've ever heard about a prevent Defense. The only thing a prevent the prevent defense does is it prevents you from winning. Yeah. You know because they start getting up and down the field and 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 the defense gets gassed. It just mm-hmm. happens. So yeah. stay aggressive. Somebody on Twitter, I wish I would have written his Twitter handle down, made an excellent point a, a few weeks ago. It was after the Washington game, and he said, instead of playing soft. Why not put some of your second stringers in and let them to continue to play and follow the game plan that you had going into the game and play hard and see what they can do? Because there's going to be a time and a place where you might need those players. I love that idea. Absolutely right. love that idea. The, the Bears defense, how they like a 90, well, the 97 yard, you know, never should have happened. Just like, you know, the game, you know, in Green Bay last year where we had an interception go right between the numbers of mm-hmm. uh, four, the uh, interception that, that Leonard Floyd uh, hit him right in the nine and the four earlier this year in the fourth quarter, and that game should have been over. Uh, this game should have been over because they held him to a punt. And, yeah, who was the guy that, that got penalized for running into the kicker? Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Yeah, what in the hell is he doing getting anywhere near that kicker? Yeah, you know what? He's got a point. There was there was a slight push. Uh, the referees didn't call it. The referees didn't see it apparently. But he shouldn't have been anywhere near it. That that kicker's always gonna get a call like that. I mean, if it was on uh, if it was, the shoe was on the other foot, Bears fans would have been screaming for that call. Like it, it, it's it's ridiculous. Like he shouldn't like what he was trying to do that he thought he was going to block that punt is crazy. But I think to your point about the second stringers, it's like 
You get you finally get Sherrick McManus in the game. He played three defensive snaps, and what does he do with one of them? He makes probably the biggest play of the game by punching the ball out on the goal line. And where are we without that? I mean, I just like I don't I I you know I, I'm not going to overly criticize his defense because I think they've been very good, but but it puzzles me sometimes the, the substitutions and the rotations and. I, I still would love to have somebody explain to me why Sherrick McManus didn't even play two games this season, didn't even dress, you know, because every game that he's played, he's made an impact. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody, I said this on, on our other show, but I don't think anybody possibly in the history of the Bears has made more with le- impact with less opportunity than Sherrick McManus, you know, because, I mean, this guy's just, and so it's like, why don't we, I don't know, why don't they reward that? You know what I mean? They, he, he played safety in training camp. He's He's been around. He's a veteran presence. And the guy just has a nose for the ball, makes plays. I mean, obviously he was, you know, unfortunately on the field for, um, you know, the touchdown in the Eagles game or whatever. But I don't know. I, I think to your point that they should expand the rotation a little bit and get some more guys in there. Um more often and and have them keep up with the with the aggressive game plan is is extremely correct i mean i just they they opened up olin Kruitz, i believe it was pointed out that on when the first play of that 97 yard drive they started out in nickel and josh and uh, josh jacobs ran up the middle for 15 yards on the first play i mean you've got them down there on practically on the goal line and so you you don't think they're going to run the ball? I mean, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just puzzling. It's, it's, uh, and, and, you know, they seem, they did it with Fangio and they continue to do it with Pagano. The fourth quarter defense is bad. I mean, we have one of the worst fourth quarter defenses in the league. I think they're ranked like in the, in the low twenties. Look at what they do in the first half of games. This game excluded Versus what they do in the fourth quarter, and it's night and day. It yeah. has been all it has been all year, um, yep. and I just I can't put my finger on it. I don't know why are they playing not to lose. You know they have to play. They have to keep everybody in front of them because they don't have a lead to work with. The only right. time they've had a lead to work with was in, in the Washington game. They come back and they score three touchdowns in the third quarter. Uh, thanks in part to an absolute dumb play by Oakland where yeah. they, they must have audible and mm-hmm. the, the running back didn't catch the audible yep. uh, and, and they ended up pitching the ball. Carr pitched it to nobody went yep. right, right past the running back and uh, they capitalized on that. We scored a touchdown. <clears throat> and then Sherrick McManus' second biggest uh, play of the game was, was the fact that Duke Shelley was inactive. <laughs> and follow me on this because mm-hmm. on the punt return that Cohen ran back for 71 yards, Shelley wasn't on the field to commit a penalty. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I'm saying I'm obviously saying that somewhat tongue in cheek. Right. But he's been how many how many penalties had Duke Shelley committed on special teams so far this year? And I'm <clears> literally, right. I was praying as soon as he made that cut and went up the sideline that we wouldn't see a yellow flag thrown. And, and we didn't, it was, right. it was the best, it was the best play of the year by, yeah. by any bear 
it's a shame he didn't get in for a touchdown, but he set up. It set up. I think it was the second touchdown of Robinson to, to, to give him the lead. Yeah. So, you know, there were obviously some. There were some good things that we saw uh, in Sunday's game. Uh, the Cohen's return was one of them. Robinson continues to be just absolutely stellar. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of the coin, there's far too many negative things that are outweighing the good things that are being done by this team. Yeah. And let's start Let's start with the offensive line. Yeah, they are truly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> they, they offend so, me deeply. Charles yeah, Leno how, offends yeah. me deeply. How many penalties has, has Leno had? Eight. He leads the league. He leads the league with eight penalties. I just saw a graphic this morning, and I forgot to write it down. But Kyle Long has given up as many pressures in the four games that he's played than he gave up all of last year. Yeah, I saw that. Unbelievable. He literally, you know, you take a look at the the interception that people were bitching about in the Washington game. And Kyle Long was literally in the lap of Mitch Trubisky. He's been pushed around and pushed around. He, he came around on a on a trap, uh, on a counter play a couple of weeks ago. I think it was against Minnesota. And he whiffed, absolutely fell down and didn't even hit any defender. It, it's, it's just, it's if it wasn't our team and we were maybe picking on a Green Bay Packer, it'd be comical. But it's yeah. so... It's so disheartening. Yeah. I actually posed a question. Nobody actually really responded to it. Here, It's a theory that I think has no bearing, but I, I just wanted to throw it out there to our fans. I said the only difference in this line is white hair and Daniels switch spots. So I just threw out a what-if scenario. I said, are the are – the, is Daniels missing some line checks and not getting the calls to the rest of the line in in enough time that they're just getting manhandled at the line of scrimmage because they're not doing they're not where they're supposed to be they're not blocking the schemes that's that's obvious in front of them uh, or is it just a decline in in Long's case is it a decline in talent? Well, I mean, I, I'm not an expert, um, but but I know that offensive lines have to be completely cohesive. So when one part of the offensive line gets beat, then the other ones, you know, tend to have to compensate or, you know. And so from what I've seen, um, you know, Leno's playing bad and Whitehair is trying to make up for that because not only is Leno getting penalized, he's also getting beaten. And I don't know what I don't know if his pockets are too heavy from that big contract or what it is, but he's just playing bad. And then so he's overcompensating and probably not being able to worry enough about backing up Daniels because what what they talked about was that Whitehair was going to basically, you know, help Daniels make these calls and you know kind of be because he's more experienced. And on the other side, I mean Daniels is basically. He's alone because Kyle Long is beaten on almost every play. I mean, he's getting completely pushed back. And I think Massey's played okay, 
but he's also compensating for Long. I mean, at the end of the day, Long has just unfortunately he's just got to get benched. Um, you know, and I, I I would like to see them shake up and send a message and bench Leno too. Uh, you know, I'd like to see them put Lucas in there and maybe you know bring bars Alec bars up. Um, you know, this week it was it was revealed. Uh, or reported by Brad Biggs that Bars was offered a position uh, on the Patriots uh, practice squad, and the Bears basically gave him a big pay raise to get him to stay, um, you know, because they think that highly of him. So he's essentially making the league minimum on the practice squad, um, you know. So that that gives you an idea of how much they think of him, and I think he's I think he needs to come up. I hope he comes up, you know, this week, and I hope that Larson is healthy, and I hope that Coward gets a chance and I mean honestly you know I don't care what you're paying Leno but he's got to sit um because you know he he's he's been a bum this year not just from the penalties but just from the from the effort you know yeah so I think I think that and 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 then unfortunately you know the only two guys that are playing decently are Daniels and Whitehair um but you know I don't know if this is maybe a sophomore slump for Daniels or it's just the fact that everybody around him has been has been playing bad. I mean, I just yeah. think it was, I don't know, it was kind of arrogant to think that we could just bring in two brand new running backs, switch the center to a different guy, and then not play any of them in the preseason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, and we'll get we'll get into the, the line and, and personnel and everything in the second half of our right. show, but it's just been obviously frustrating. We yeah. were talking we were talking about good and bad and and I, we would be remiss if we didn't mention on the bad side Anthony Miller. <clears throat> what the hell was he thinking? After the the touchdown, the terrific touchdown catch by Allen Robinson to go and get into the face of the defender and taunt him when he wasn't even in the play, and then subsequently after that, on the ensuing kickoff, where now they have to kick from the 20, and they had the the return man bottled up at the 30-yard line, but if you watch the tape. Anthony Miller is the the wingman on the far right side. He comes all the way down. He crashes into where the point of contact is with the return man, and he doesn't touch the return man. He he literally shoves the the guy that was in front of him to block and frees up the return man to to run around the left end, Mm -hmm. and he goes for damn near 50 yards. So not only... Did he did he make a dumbass penalty? He made a dumbass play by not containing on the uh, on his side of the field, and then he then he, he gets even worse because he doesn't even tackle the guy when he had a clear shot at the return man and, and pushes the guy in front of him instead of tackling the runner with the ball. So just absolutely uh, brain fart. You know, consecutive plays. Unfortunately, you see why Miller has sometimes struggled to get on the field because he's he's greatly talented. Nobody denies how talented he is, but his discipline is very bad. And, you know, whether it's been problems with route running, which Mike Furry has has detailed, or it's been, you know, mental lapses like you've just talked about. 
he finds himself on the wrong side of a lot of plays, and he also does a lot of talking. And, you know, if you watch him now, every time he doesn't get the ball, he's got some arms up, you know, yapping, you know, uh, histrionics that he's getting into. And it's just really – it's just frustrating, you know. I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of good guys and a lot of, you know, um, guys that are um, – keeping their mouths shut and doing the right things on this team. And, and, you know, he just hasn't gotten going. And so, you know, he's kind of doing this uh, wide receiver diva thing. Um, well, and then, and then after the game, he's, you know, <clears throat> arguing with people on Instagram and, you know, this and that. And I mean, I, I'm not going to blame that last interception on him. I mean, Nagy said he might've been able to get a hand on it if he, but again, he didn't really run the right route. I mean, Chase Daniel threw it into a sea of black shirts, so I'm not going to blame Miller for that. But And he did make some nice plays in the game, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, Allen Robinson is is the best receiver on the team, probably the best offensive player on the team this year. And it's like, do you ever hear his name in any negative way? Is he ever penalized for anything? Is he ever, you know, like out of position, not making a block, lollygagging, anything? It's like, why doesn't Miller look at him and go, okay, I need to be like that guy, you know? Because, like, I don't know, I guess he thinks, I mean, it's, it's just funny because we like their, we love their swagger and their, and their bravado when it suits us. And then we don't, you know, but when it, when it becomes in undisciplined and bad play that hurts the team, then it's just like, you know, it's got to stop. You know, I just, you know, I, I, I think that's where the BU stuff with Nagy can sometimes have a double-edged sword. And, you know, and you talked about them, Nagy ripping them at the halftime. I hope he did. And I hope that this week, you know, they all do what he said and took a, take a long look in the mirror and decide, you know, what the hell they're doing because a lot of them think that they've arrived, you know, and I think some of the worst things that may have ever happened to, to Leno and uh, Tariq was going to the pro bowl. Cause both those guys think that they're, you know, they've just, they, they, it's a birthright for them to just play well and to be, you know, um, to, to be in the middle of everything and getting, you know, what they need to get. And neither one of them, I mean, if you take away that 71-yard punt return, Tariq's season has been quite disappointing. So, Absolutely. I don't know. Well, it, it is what it is. We'll, we'll pick up this conversation uh, about this London game, uh, but we're going to pause for a moment for a word from our sponsor, Tick Splits. And when we come back, we have uh, a gentleman who I basically met online uh, just uh, in the last week or so, he is uh, the uh, owner, I believe he's the owner of WindyCityCritic.com. His name is uh, Dan Hyland, and uh, Dan had some interesting takes on the Bears history, and especially the, uh, the 30s and 40s. Uh, we had uh, a guest on the show last week, Jack Silverstein, and he had some great things uh, to talk about, maybe not so great in terms of, of what the, the subject was, but he was very well spoken. And uh, this gentleman uh, has, I think, a little bit of a different take on that time in Bears in NFL history. So after a word from Tick Splits, we're going to bring Dan on and we're going to have uh, some great conversation. 
Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. And, of course, thanks to our sponsor, TickSplits. Uh, Ticksplits.com. You can use the promo code TAILGATE to get 5% off your order. So right now, uh, coming to the show, we are very excited to have Dan Highland. Uh, he is – Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, tell us where uh, the listeners can find you and find your work. Uh, I'm a sports journalist from Columbia College in Chicago. I worked for uh, the Tribune uh, – Daily Herald, I've been published in ESPN, ESPN Radio. Uh, currently, I'm working on a documentary called Prairie State Sports, which is a local history doc starting from uh, 1870 to present day. And uh, we cover all topics, but we keep pretty much uh, like a scope of how that era affected that history. And uh, I'm just glad you guys invited me on to talk about this, uh, all this stuff. And then you have a you have a website, right? Um, eh, what's that called? Uh, WindyCityCritic.com. Okay, and then your Twitter looks like it's the same thing. Windy City Critic at Windy City Critic, just like it sounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, perfect. Thanks for coming on, uh, uh, Michael Halitek. You are taking the lead on this, so have at it. Absolutely, uh, Dan. You had some interesting conversations back and forth on Twitter. Uh, with our previous guest, Jack Silverstein. Jack wrote a very thorough article uh, about the era in the time that the Bears, I don't know if you want to say celebrated, but when they came out with their their 100-year throwback jersey, it harkens back to a time when men of color were not playing in the NFL. And you had an interesting take in your conversation back and forth on Twitter with Mr. Silverstein, and I, I wanted to give you some time to talk about what you were thinking about with respect to this era and what the Bears did uh, to kind of make sure that, that the players respected what had happened because you can't sweep something like that under the table. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about uh, about your uh, studies in what you've what you've gleaned from your uh, uh, looking at the past with the Bears history. Well, it's such a tricky situation because uh, we're talking about race here during an era when segregation was kind of at its peak. Every other sport was at segregated except for football at that time, and actuals like financially integrated football was not good for business. It would, by society, it was considered lower-class football. Um, besides, on like if you had like one or two African Americans, so African American playing in football was actually lower than it is now. I don't know if that was just society kept them out of the sport, but um, the other stuff is like it was just dangerous for Jack to make. As a journalist, I worked for SB Nation, um, the same website that he did for a while, and it's just. If that was an actual publication, it would be kind of tough to be saying that stuff. And the Bears would probably threaten to pull some media credentials if they actually did publish a story saying Hallis was behind the 
the band, but I will go say, like, House was probably a racist in 1936 by today's standards. But in 1936, he was probably considered a progressive liberal. He uh, played integrated football. He lived in an integrated neighborhood. He lived next door to uh, Fritz Pollard. They, like, there's a ton of good stories of them, like, being friends, and then they had a falling out, and then they hated each other, and they called each other liar. And Fritz was the one who actually said that uh, Mira from the Giants and Hallis were behind the band. Uh, and this was in, like, the 50s. Uh, Fritz Pollard is a local hero, too. We should definitely celebrate him a lot more. But uh, Wasn't Fritz Pollard one of the very first black quarterbacks to ever play in the league? Or is that somebody else? Uh, yeah, Fritz was the first black quarterback, and he was he's from Chicago, a uh, Lane Tech guy. Um, him and Hallis, like... Uh, they did a lot of work together uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks. The Bears would uh, play against them in ex- exhibition games. And then the Great Depression hit, and all of a sudden, Hallis didn't want to play integrated football. So I think economy and Hallis had all the best white players. So if he got the band, his team actually got better. And you guys have heard stories about Hallis over the years. He was willing to take every single cut to make sure his team won a championship or was successful. He used to turn off the hot water in the opponent's locker room. You know, <laughs> he did some petty stuff just to get in a competitive advantage. Um, but I just don't think he was – he was the operational leader of the NFL at the time. But I don't know if he had as much power financially because he was probably the least um, successful owner financially. And he uh, – Bidwell, Charles Bidwell, who uh, owned the Cardinals and his family still does, uh, Hallis owed him 50 grand at the time, and 50 grand in 1936 is quite a bit of money, especially when the NFL only had six teams at the time. And if two teams were going to leave, that would cripple a team, uh, a league that already lost six teams in 1931 and 1932. You're absolutely right. And of course, the, the legend goes that, that Hallis actually lent money to the Packer organization so they could make payroll in the 30s. So that team didn't fold. Uh, I live up in Wisconsin, and I have a lot of fun with that story when I have people come in <laughs> to my office and say, oh, you're a Bears fan, I'm sorry. And I, I just go right back at him. I said, you know, don't be sorry for me. If it weren't for the Bears, you guys wouldn't have a franchise in Green Bay. <laughs> but uh, And that's a true story. So yeah. you, know, you, you make a good point. And, you know, one of the things when, when I first – uh, started a conversation with Jack Silverstein, uh, and I have nothing but the utmost respect. He's a great writer, but and I told him right up front. I saw I thought his writing, the article was excellent, but it sounded like as you read it, and knowing some bear history that I like to think I do, that the article was laced with supposition. And I, I, we called him out on that in last week's show. And, and no, he, great show. He some, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to our show last week, but, you know, we, we weren't, we, you know, we didn't celebrate his article. We asked him some tough questions. Yeah, no, I, I love the, the whole podcast. And you guys asked definitely some good questions. I just think it's tough 
to make a statement saying that he led it or, you know, just because he had the most powerful ops moves doesn't mean that he, like, he probably saw the ban as an absolute benefit. And Cal has never played on an integrated team. He played against African-American players, but he actually never played with an... He played against Fritz Pollard in high school. Like, they were rivals in high school. Uh, in college, he played against them and then in the pros. Uh, it's just the NFL was at such a tough time financially. Uh, they were just coming off the Red Grange contract, which Halas could not afford. Red Grange had to uh, quit football for a while and become an actor. Uh, and, uh, just, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Like then that, like Chicago was pretty racist at that time. Uh, we're coming up bloody race riots. They just put in a racial, uh, housing stuff in 1927, restrictive housing laws. Uh, he grew up in the Jim Crow era. It was just, uh, by today's standards, everyone was racist in 1936. I think Hallis did it more because it was the depression. His league was on the brink of death. And even after the Red uh, Red Grange great stuff in the late 20s, the league almost folded in the early 30s. So you're talking three years later when you know, it's still a big question. And if there was even two owners willing to leave at that time, it would cripple the entire league. I think you made some good points, uh, Dan. Um, you know, I, I brought that up, too, on the show that, you know, it, it, even as uncomfortable as it is to think about, ultimately, mostly, I believe this was a business decision. It just it just kind of goes back to the <clears throat> ultimate question that that, you you know, that everybody can and, and does ask about, uh, you know, dark periods of history in this country. You know, it, I mean, in some ways, everybody's to blame you know, for that type of thing. And, you know, in some ways, nobody can be absolved from it. Um, personally, I don't think that Jack went too hard against Hallis. I mean, I think he certainly could have gone even further. He couldn't. He certainly could have, you know, made that the lead of the story. Um, I, I do think that the team actually um, reacted pretty well to the story. Um, and I was actually, you know, I felt we talked about, you know, how we we feel pretty good about the team's reaction to it and the handling of it. And um, I mean, I think ultimately this is a period of time in the NFL's history that hasn't been talked about enough. And I applaud Jack for taking it on. And I don't think he did it in a particularly, uh, you know, clickbait or, um, you know, uh, sort of, you know, uh, tacky way in any way, shape or form. I think for the most part, you know, he, he did a good job of shedding light on something that I think needs to have light shed on it. And I, I would hope that some of the other teams, you know, you rent, you mentioned the Cardinals, the Packers, the Giants, you know, might step up and, and acknowledge their, um, you know, part in this as well. Um, because it wasn't like as soon as the quote-unquote ban was lifted, uh, the players were just, you know, brought back in. It wasn't until the 50s uh, that we had, you know, uh, integrated football again. But I think ultimately you're right, you know. I mean, who knows if they don't do the ban, the league maybe folds, <laughs> you know. And um, it's not like, I mean, from what I understand, you know, football was um, was viewed uh, by a lot of people as, you know, kind of this savage thing at the time, too. And it wasn't, 
it wasn't particularly popular, you know, um, especially after the depression, you know, when people didn't have any money to go, you know, spend on, um, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, I mean, any, I mean, after, after, you know, the barnstorming era and all the great lengths they went to, to get, you know, um, to get things going. And then Jack brought up aptly, you know, the Jesse Owens, uh, Olympics, uh, in 1936, and and the you know it's just a very charged environment. So, you know you can you can understand from a business standpoint why they did what they did. Um, but I do agree with Jack on some level that it's hard to absolve George Hallis from any of it as well. No, I, I totally totally agree with that. Um, like I, as I said before, like I think everybody was racist. I said to Jack on Twitter. Mm. Other European Americans hated other European Americans, like Italians. They're like, you better not marry those Irish. You cannot trust them. I'm Irish. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's it's a tricky situation. I love talking about history. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying let's avoid the topic. I'm saying let's do a deeper dive. Um, Let's think about like how the economy affected it. Not just like the ban was just because it was racist, racially charged, you know, like right. the band in baseball, racially charged. Cat Banson of the Chicago White Stockings was sitting on the bench saying, I am not playing that guy. I forget his name. He has an awesome name, though. The first African-American baseball player. Was in the 1880s, that band lasted, what is 60, 70 years uh, until Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Um and Jackie Robinson's last uh, touchdown, little side fact, was in the Soldier Field at the Chicago All-Star Game uh, against the Bears, which was hmm. a little nice uh, touchdown uh, clip. But I got, I took a couple notes. Um, uh, the thing is, like, old. I don't know how you guys, but, like, all the owners' stories changed. Fritz Pollard's story changed along mm-hmm. the way. I think they all got bitter. And also, like, the white guys were like, I can't I can't ever say that I was behind this or I'll never be able to sign an African-American player again. Right. Um, so it's just hard to actually pinpoint who led it historically. It's, hard, it's like the black right. sides. No one will ever know who actually was in on the fix of the 1919 World Series. We'll just never know. Like, there's a lot of stuff being said, and people have put in years studying that one, two weeks in Chicago, and Mm -hmm. they still have no idea. That's such a great uh, story, too. You know, everybody is criticizing, you know, Shoeless Joe, you know, who who played uh, baseball in the minor leagues for a long time after he was banned. It was... You know, what he, what he hit like 800 in in the World Series. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but yeah. you know, he played his ass off in that World Series, and yet he's one of the guys who was found to be guilty and was banned from the league. So yeah, you're right. You'll you'll just never know. And you know, one of the things that that I've always talked about, it's kind of a kind of a joke, but but if if you and Aaron and I are are standing a corner in Chicago and we see an accident happen and we write down word verbatim everything that we saw and and felt and witnessed, we'd have 
some differences in our stories. So it makes you wonder, you know, what's the validity of history books because we don't know all the facts because too many people have different opinions on things and you just never, ever know the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, history run, uh, the Victor's <clears throat> right history books, you know. Uh, Alice was kind of the last one hanging around. Uh, he died in the 80s and uh, he, like, for business, it would have been bad if he was been like, I was for the band. But it just didn't sound like... He, with his track record, it just didn't sound like he was uh, like the most racist person in that room to lead that. Uh, drafted the first, uh, he played integrated football, lived next to Fritz Pollard, an integrated neighborhood, which is crazy in the 30s. Uh, even in Chicago, because we had, there was an African-American neighborhoods, Irish neighborhoods, Italian neighborhoods. Um, Polish neighborhoods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't want to... Biggest well, I mean, historically, Chicago's been one of the most segregated cities ever. I mean, you know, you, you, they, they say that you could, you know, get up in a tall building and, and then just look around and look at the churches, you know, <laughs> and, and see the tops of the churches and say, okay, that's over them, that's them over there, you know. I mean, that's just been <laughs> that's that's just been the history of Chicago, you know. So it is pretty it is pretty wild that Hallis lived, you know, in an integrated neighborhood. Uh, certainly, I mean, he wasn't. Um, maybe as rich as the Maras or whatever, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a, a pauper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not and, like he... Go and ahead. George George Hallis made his entire living off of football. He didn't have outside interests or family money. He made his entire living off of what is now the NFL. And so did he have to bend to the pressures of the league at the time? I'm, I'm sure he had to. Uh, one of the things I asked Jack about in last week's, and I'm, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I hope you'll continue to listen to us uh, after we're done today. But one of the things I asked him was, you know, you've got, we talked about this already. Baseball was segregated. Base, you know, Jackie Robinson didn't come into uh, the, the Major League Baseball. Larry Doby was the American League first. Uh, why? just Chicago. Obviously, Green Bay, a week or two before, wore throwback jerseys from the same era, but there was absolutely nothing talked about. And I brought this up with Jack last week. I said, back in the 60s, they're all pro safety. Willie Wood couldn't buy a house in Green Bay. So why just Chicago? And he had, you know, he had a great point, but I wanted to get your take on, on that as well. Yeah, that's that's one of the problems with the story too. It just seems like it pinpoints that like Chicago. It was like referencing that Chicago was more of the reason or the leader of it. And like Chicago isn't perfect, and we're not as progressive as we think we are. But we are progressive. We try to be different. We try to be open to new ideas. Um, sometimes we get stubborn Midwestern values, and um, but like. Wisconsin probably didn't say anything because, you know, they're probably more racist out there than, uh, than we are. Um, and most of their base is probably white, and they probably don't want to hear that the almighty Packers, you know, wrote that. But there, I did see a couple things about the Packers, but it was very brushed under the rug. But, like, going back to Hallis, like, 
he drafted the first African-American player. He uh, scouted out, tried to sign a couple. I know Jack said he doesn't believe that that happened. Fritz Pollard actually tried to call him out on uh, Hallis and his racism one time by publishing a story that Hallis was trying to sign Fritz Pollard's son out of college. So he was trying to force Hallis's hand in public to uh, break his color barrier for the Bears. Um, I I think uh, Hallis believed in segregation for a little bit, but I don't think he looked as at, at African Americans as like a lesser species as some people did in the 30s. And 40s and 50s and <laughs> 60s. You know, it, it list goes on. I'm so glad that that we have come so far. I mean, it's guys, it's only been 60 years. You right. know, not even 60 years. And, uh, you know, we're, what, what are we, 250 years old as a country, and only in the last 60 years have we come as far as we have? Uh, I have nothing, I have, I have, I can't tell you how many friends I have. I don't care whether you're white, black, yellow, green, brown, purple. I don't care. You're my friend. And I'm, I'm, I have a better enriched life by having all those people in my life. And, uh, you know, you know, there's there's still a lot of strides that need to be made, but I for one uh, can can take a look at this and say, you know what, this is a time in our history, uh, not only the history of the United States, the history of the world as we know it, not only just the history of the NFL. I really appreciate you delving into this topic, Dan. It's, and uh, I'm sure it's not going to go away. The Bears have to wear their jerseys again in, <laughs> de- in December. So I'm sure we're going to bring this this topic back up again. Uh, but one of the things I also wanted to talk to you about is you did a doc- documentary a while back on the renovation of Soldier Field. And uh, quite frankly, um, it was. It's a disaster. It's the. It's the smallest. It's the smallest stadium, uh, in in the NFL. It was the smallest stadium when it opened, and it's still the smallest stadium. The uh, you know the architects did what they tried to do to preserve the iconic uh, columns of Soldier Field, but as soon as the stadium opened, they they lost their registry uh, as a historic landmark. So that blew that completely out of the water. Um, I have a thought, and I've, I've published it recently, and I shared it with you uh, a couple of days ago, and I think that it's high time that, that the city of Chicago get with the Bears, make them the number one tenant, and start from scratch and build a state-of-the-art stadium with a retractable roof so they can not only have the best stadium, and I'm, you look at Minnesota, you look at Atlanta, we'll talk about Atlanta in a little bit, but you've Green got Bay. all these, they've got all these, all these state-of-the-art stadium out there, Arizona, that we can't hold a Super Bowl, we can't hold a Final Four in the NCAA. There's conventions that we could be getting that we don't get because of we don't have a venue like that. And my my idea is a simple one. The Park District owns the Grant Park, I think. The Park District owns the land and Soldier Field. 
So why not, since Grant Park, where all the softball fields are, that acreage appears, when you look at it from an aerial shot on Google Maps, appears to be double the size that the, the parcel of land that Soldier Field sits. So build a state-of-the-art stadium there, and then once that stadium is built, you tear down what is Soldier Field. You can leave the columns in the south, the horseshoe, the south horseshoe, uh, that has all the information about Soldier Field and the Doughboy and everything else, and repurpose that into not only some some uh, softball fields but other amenities that the city, that uh, the Chicagoans can enjoy. Your thoughts? Um, yeah. The Soldier Field renovation was just a disaster from the beginning. Uh, it was called the Mistake by the Lake. Even before, I don't know why they went through with it. Uh, Mayor Daly was he was trash. He was not dead. Um, the, the stadium, it's the borderline classist because it's the smallest stadium in the third biggest market, and it has one of the most skyboxes. So actually, like the diehard Bears fan, which can't afford to go a lot can't afford to go even more now because we have 40,000 less seats than everybody else. Um, we Indianapolis is getting all of the big events. They've hosted Super Bowls and Final Fours, and, like, Indianapolis isn't, isn't great. Like, out of Midwestern cities, it's not in my top five. Um, it was just a bad design, and it was, like, it, there's no outdoor enclosures. I would love to see them rebuild in Grant Park, but Chicago, the Friends of the Park, they uh, they they always put the kibosh on trying to do anything in a park to fight anything. So I think we're either stuck with Soldier Field, or we have to redo that or put a dome on top of that. But it's too small too. They, it was just one of the worst uh, sports architectural designs. They blocked out the view of the skyline from the stadium. They blocked out the view of the lake. Uh, they blocked out the columns. Those those videos of like Walter Payton running with the columns in the background, it was like he was a, like a gladiator, and they just turned it into this like normal middle of the road stadium. It used to be a top five must visit stadium, and that takes away from tourist money too. Um, but I love your idea, and I think it's perfect. I just don't know if they could pull it off because of the political reasons. Well, I mean, I think you bring up a lot of great points, but I mean, how close, you know, I don't know how close they were. You might know this better than I were, but I mean, there was talk about the team moving to Gary, Indiana during the the protracted negotiations for the new stadium, you know, where they dropped a space shuttle in this, um, you know, basically or a space a, a, a UFO in the in a monument, um, you know, which is what it looks like. I mean, I've come around to it you know like i don't mind the look of it i think it's pretty unique but functionally it's just it's brutal i mean getting in and out of there is brutal you know the way that you bottleneck around the field museum and it takes forever and everybody tramples all the landscaping every single time they go through there is ridiculous and you know exactly what you said is right you get that huge bank of luxury boxes um, across from, you know, this, this super steep nosebleed seats on the other side. 
and you know you see these stadiums going up and it's just it's tough to see it's tough to see chicago have this second rate stadium with these faded seats and i mean we went on a tour the other day and it was cool it was cool to go on the field but some of the things that the tour guides are sort of saying is these cool features it's kind of like Eh, like they're not that cool you know like it's not you know like huge sections of the stadium that are unusable because they basically tried to shove a a new stadium inside of an old thing you know it's like oh look at this this is where you know nothing is because it it, it didn't fit like it's like oh wow that's great you know but but unfortunately I I mean I don't know if we'll be alive to see a retractable roof stadium. Um, I mean, I don't know how old you are, uh, but I'm 42, and I have a hard time envisioning that getting getting completed in my lifetime. You look how long Millennium Park – I mean, Millennium Park wasn't finished until, what, 2008? It was supposed to be open in 2000. I mean, the, the stadium itself, renovation took forever – um, you know, the park district just got done kiboshing what would have been an amazing George Lucas museum, you know, um, on the lake. You know, that would have been an amazing addition to the city, but we, we just couldn't agree on that. I mean, you know, there's just there's so many people in Chicago that make a living uh, putting the kibosh on progress. And and then you, you factor in development on the lake, and it's like, forget it. I mean, you, you have better time sucking a basketball through a garden hose than getting a stadium like that built on the lakefront. Dan, the uh, I, I think I shared this with you when I emailed you. Uh, the city of Atlanta and the city of Arlington, Texas, back in the early 90s, they built at the time what was a stadium state-of-the-art stadium in Atlanta. It was to host the Atlanta Falcons, and they, they, they had bowl games there. I think uh, uh, Georgia Tech or is, also plays their home games there. They host conventions there. In Arlington, Texas, the Texas Rangers, they built a state-of-the-art stadium that to this day is still gorgeous. They paid homage to the old Tiger Stadium with the little uh, the porch in right field. And in Atlanta, they just recently opened the Mercedes-Benz Dome, a retractable dome stadium that's absolutely state-of-the-art. And in Texas, they're building an enclosed stadium that's air-conditioned because God knows they need it in Texas and to, to watch a baseball game in August down there. So that's two state-of-the-art stadiums that they've literally probably spent a total of $4 billion between the two cities. And we get this piece of um, architecture, to be putting it mildly, uh, on the lakefront that, and you you so well put, you have 40,000 blue-collar fans that are deprived of going to that game because the prices are so damn expensive. And look at it this way. We, we just got done talking about integration and segregation, and Soldier Field has got to be the most segregated stadium in the NFL. The east side of the stadium is all luxury skyboxes and club seats, 
and the 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 Joe Schmoes, the Grabowskis, as Ditka used to put, sit on the west side with no possibility of getting out of inclement weather. So let's let's start over. Let's make it right. Let's let's Chicago third third market. You you just got done saying with the smallest arena in the NFL, absolutely makes no sense. Let's finally get on board with some politicians that have a little clout and get it done right. What are your thoughts? Well, I think one of the biggest problems is the McCaskies don't have any money. You know, like with, uh, I don't know who owns the Rangers, but with like Atlanta and the Cowboys, you had two owners who were willing to put invest into those stadiums. Um, Atlanta Stadium is unreal. That's like the least classist stadium around. Um, they have the lowest food prices. They're all like a dollar for a hot dog. Um, Dallas, you can you can go to a game for 50 bucks. Yeah, you're sitting at nosebleeds, but you're in the game, you know, um, which I'm fine with sometimes. Uh, it's the, the west side of the stadium at Soldier Field, like you guys both said, is brutal. Like if you if you're up more than 20 steps, you have to and walking down those stairs is terrifying, even when you're sober. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then you see the drunk guy doing it, and he's like taking taking steps down with his butt. Um, but I, I just don't know. I think the McCaskies are a problem. Uh, and all the other stadiums that have been publicly funded in Chicago have been an absolute train wreck. Um, the White Sox Stadium, we're still paying that off. And uh, we just, the White Sox just started paying rent. Uh, the Chicago Fire Stadium in Bridgeview, they're moving from that. That's going to probably bankrupt the town of Bridgeview because they built that stadium. Um, if we had, if the McCaskies sold the team to somebody with money, I would say like we would have a shot. But I mean, don't get me started on the McCaskies. <laughs> I, well, and you, I think you bring up a good point with a Chicago fire moving into Soldier Field. And I haven't heard anybody say anything about this, but what's that going to do to that field? I mean, you know, that, that field is, uh, it's been less of a problem than lately. But I think you were about to say, you know, even Green Bay has a classic but modern stadium now. You know what I mean? Like, they have they have technology that keeps that field perfect in way worse weather than us. And we still can't even get the grass right. I mean, like, you, you, can't, you can't get the grass right. I don't think you're going to build a, a state-of-the-art stadium. Like, I mean, they've, they've made improvements on the grass, but, you know, now we supposedly, you know, are trying to have an offensive-minded team, and we still got a garbage field, one of the worst surfaces in the league, you know, and I just feel like if that's not emblematic of, of what, you know, what's going to happen and what, what can happen, then nothing is. And now you got now you're going to have the – uh, soccer players, you know, ripping it up. Um, and it's not going to be like Tottenham where they've got this, you know, ridiculous system to change the field, you know. Um, uh, like, it's like if uh, if Green Bay can afford that and, you know, some, some suburb of London can afford that, who, by the way, have a terrible soccer team, like, why can't we? And the reason is, is because every single corrupt politician in Chicago has to get paid off of everything. So, 
you know, yeah, the McCaskies don't have a lot of money. They don't have enough money to pay off everybody who you need to pay off to get things done here. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Everybody's got to get got to get their palms greased, and they don't have the money for that, much less, you know, um, paying the stadium. And and ultimately, I don't want the city that's you know got the budget problems that it has to pour billions of dollars into a stadium. Um, you know, it needs to be a private venture. You know, I. I and I don't. I just. I just can't see it. I mean, I would love it, but I just. I have a hard time envisioning it. Hey, Dan, where do you call home? Uh, I'm on the south suburbs, Orland Park. Orland Park. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I'm going to make you the same offer that I made Jack. Uh, I would love to break bread with you sometime. So I'm off on Wednesdays and Sundays. I'd love to meet you sometime for lunch. I'm buying. <laughs> no problem, no problem. I love it, Chuck Bears. So you know, it's it's interesting with your talk. We politics is always going to be involved in Chicago, and and I don't know if this had anything to do with politics or not. But back last month, uh, WGN TV was on Facebook, and and they said, hey, if you have a question, ask us. So I sent them a question, and uh, they actually did a story on it, but the question, the story that they ran had nothing to do with my question, although uh, they made it sound like it did. And, here's, and the question was exactly what we've been talking about. Why did the, why doesn't Chicago finally get their act together and build a retractable dome stadium for the city of Chicago. And the story that they ran with was uh, a roof on Soldier Field may be possible, but cost and tradition make it unlikely. <laughs> so it had absolutely nothing to do with my question. You know, it, and, you know, this story ran back um, somewhere in the middle of September, and the guy who inter interviewed me via email uh, actually wanted me to go down to Chicago and, and be taped, but I, I couldn't do it for obvious reasons. So the, the funny thing is, even after asking the, the question, okay, I, my question exactly word for word was, when is Chicago going to wake up and build a retractable roof stadium the Bears can play at, host conventions, NCAA basketball final fours, the list goes on and on. And I actually said, easy solution, build it on an area that is currently Grand Park, then make the land that Soldier Field currently sits and put the park area there. And that's obviously not what was addressed in, in their their video that they put together. I'll have to send you a, a copy, a link to the to the video that they actually shot. It's it's kind of fun to watch, but it never addressed my question. So I sent the guy, the, the gentleman of with whom I was talking at, at WGN was Michael Ewing. I don't know if you are familiar with him or not, but it was interesting that even my question didn't get answered which is so typically political of Chicago. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. Um, and just the revenue that would come in from bringing in a food, 
Super Bowl or Final Four would be because that's not in our peak season in January and early April. Like that's when people don't want to come to Chicago because the weather's bad. We have the convention center right there, which can handle. That'd be a nice entertainment district that they could build. Um, well, it, the thing is, you got to get. You're right. You have to get real money behind it. And the McCaskies are rich. They're not that kind of rich, though. They need. You need real money. You need uh, Aon money. You know. Um, <laughs> you know. You need uh, that hedge fund guy that just uh, put all that money into the uh, the Museum of Science and Industry. You know, you need, uh, you know, that kind of money. I mean, and and the thing that makes me know that it will never happen or will take forever is because it's such a great idea. <laughs> like, that, sure. me- that, that means that, that Chicago will do everything in its power to screw it up. You know, I mean, the, the, the fact that the Olympics came as close to coming here as they did, you know, is, is, per- is pure Chicago. I mean, despite the fact that they weren't gonna, um, they weren't gonna fix the CTA, they weren't gonna, you know, they were just gonna build a bunch of uh, stadiums that were gonna, you know, end up turning derelict and, um, you know, all this stuff. I mean, they basically stripped anything good out of the plan, and, and then uh, thank God we didn't get that here because that would have been a debacle in and of itself. We and karma, karma took place there real quick because when they when they went in, they started showing the live voting uh, for the venue. Chicago was the first city booted in their voting process. Yeah, I remember. I mean, we had a. I was working downtown at a, a, a in the Prudential Building. It was like a big party for you know Aon um, heads and all these people were there because they really thought we were gonna get it. And I mean, it was like, you know, it was like a funeral (laughs) after after they didn't get it. Uh, um, But to me, thank God they didn't, because every city that's close to the, you know, five years later is like still trying to figure out how to get out of that economic hell. It's funny that we lost the that Olympics because we weren't corrupt enough. You're right. Yeah, you would think nobody could beat us at that. (laughs) But the, you know, but what, what, you know, we, uh, nobody out corrupts the Olympic Committee. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, like you would think if Chicago could win in anything, it'd be being corrupt. Oh man. Well, Dan, on 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 that glorious note, uh, <laughs> on, on behalf of Halitech Hall and, and Aaron and myself, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I hope you'll come on again sometime in the future. I appreciate it. Yeah, hit me up anytime. All right. Yeah, uh, thanks Thanks very much. You can find uh, Dan at WindyCityCritic.com, and his Twitter, again, is just like that, at WindyCityCritic. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. We appreciate the conversation, and uh, have a great day. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. We'll be right back and continue the rest of our show after a word from TickSplits.com. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere.
Okay, everybody, welcome back. Thanks again, uh, of course, to our sponsor, TickSplits.com. Thank you to Dan Highland. Uh, that was a great conversation. Um, definitely always good to look at different sides of it, um, you know, and I think uh, he brought some very good things to light. Um, you know, obviously, we're big fans of Jack Silverstein, um, you know, love his article, love his work, et cetera. But I think no matter what, and his, he would agree that uh, a conversation about um, – about these issues is, is ultimately what he's going for. Um, so I think it's very good to bring up both sides of it. Um, and, you know, like I said, we're not we're not looking to, to crucify George Hallis or to uh, absolve him. But I think, you know, um, conversation and open-mindedness uh, about looking back at those things is, uh, is important. Absolutely. That's the one thing we pride ourselves on here at the Hall is our uh, never-ending attention to Bears history. And this is an important part. You know, two of those, the things we talked about with Dan, <laughs> the era in the 30s and the stadium renovation and the lack of uh, the, a great stadium that the Bears and the city of Chicago deserve to have, sadly is being affected by local politics. And it goes all the way back, Aaron, before you were born. You know, the Bears were looking for a stadium. They were playing at Wrigley Field. They were looking for a stadium, and they got shoehorned into Soldier Field. They were looking for a, a place to, to uh, uh, build a stadium. They actually uh, took out an option on acreage that is adjacent to what is now Route 53 and 290, right by Woodfield Mall, where... WGN's uh, radio antennas are, uh, and there was thoughts about building a stadium there. There was, of course, we talked about Gary, Indiana. There was talk about building a stadium in the infield at Arlington Park Racetrack back in the days, uh, and we're stuck with, I'm sorry, there's not a bad seat in the house, don't get me wrong, but Soldier Field is a disaster. The field conditions thankfully, have improved a little bit uh, after the big debacle where they, they canceled some uh, uh, things that, that were going on. There did, did, I know they canceled the Bears Fest one year. Uh, I think they came close to canceling a preseason game uh, one year. Uh, when Des Hart was still a Bear, he criticized the field. Uh, and then they started to pay attention, and they actually got people in – that knew how to, to take care of a football field instead of letting uh, park district workers and, and, and botanists and you know people that had no no business operating in, in manicuring and taking care of a football field that is the the city of Chicago's park district. So it's it's high time we we move and and get. Uh, what we deserve. We deserve a state-of-the-art stadium. We being the fans of Chicago, the city of Chicago, the Chicago Bears in the NFL. Uh, I'd just love to see it. I don't know if I'll ever see it in my lifetime. I'm old enough to be Aaron's father. So, uh, you know, at 42, he's he's seen a lot. I've seen a lot more. And it's just a shame that we don't have what we rightfully deserve. Before we uh, had Dan join us, we were finishing up our conversation about the mistake that was London, uh, a couple of other things that, that we didn't get 
uh, we had a time constraint to get Dan onto our show, and we didn't get to finish our conversation about the good and the bad. There was not enough good. Tariq Cohen's punt return was good. Allen Robinson's offensive performance was amazing. He was he caught every ball that was started his way. Uh, two touchdowns, uh, and then we had the idiocy of of uh, Miller's. Uh, Terrible penalty, and then Miller's uh, uh, tragic mistake on the kickoff return that proved to be very costly. Uh, Sherrod McManus's peanut punch uh, was an amazing story to see. But uh, when it comes down to it, the offensive line was terrible, and the linebacking core just failed to show up. I, you know, you didn't see any flashes from from Mac all the way down to Floyd and everywhere in between. There was just nothing going on by the, by our land, our linebacking core. And it was just sad to watch. It's the first game in probably three or four years where our defense was completely taken out of the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Roquan uh, looked a bit lost out there. I think he, he seemed to step slow. He seemed out of sorts. I mean, part of it was because the, Defensive line was getting pushed back into the second level, um, which he's certainly not used to. But I, I just thought they should have, you know, we, I was talking before we had Dan on about the rotations and where was Kwiatkowski? I mean, he barely got on the field um, after having his best game as a pro, and he's a guy that specializes in run defense. I mean, I just, I don't understand it. You know, it's, it's really like I felt like they were kind of trying to you know, keep Roquan up or whatever, you know, and if they took him out of game, maybe they felt like, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously we don't know what's going on with him, but he didn't look like the same guy. I mean, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand why Aaron Lynch is on the team. Uh, Every time he gets on the field, he doesn't do anything except for penalties and, you know, be in the wrong spot. And, um, I don't. I don't. I have no interest in seeing him come on the field. You're right. Floyd wasn't really much of a factor. Um, now I brought up something on the other show that because Mac literally never takes a playoff, the times when he does, he's he's actually not on the field, and it's been brought up that you know this is probably I, I think almost every game there's been a time in the fourth quarter where Mac has had to come out of the game because he's exhausted. Um, and it, it made me think of, well, maybe this is why Fangio used to drop him back into coverage sometimes was to almost force him to take a playoff, um, but not take him off the field. Um, you know, so it might be something that they, you know, it's like, obviously we want Mac doing what he does and disrupting and going for the quarterback, but you know, because he really is maximum effort all the time, which is one of the things we love about him. I think, you know, there's been times where, you know, if he's not in the field, I mean, it's just like a free-for-all. I mean, basically the defenses are just looking for 52 and, you know, making sure they stay away or, you know, hit him or, you know, it's that's, that's the entire game plan against the Bears. So, I mean, I, I hope it's not a blueprint, um, but I'm not – I don't feel particularly great about going up against the Saints, um, you know. And then, and, and then it's the Chargers the following week. 
Chargers, and then the Eagles. I mean, you know, it's uh, if you don't think Jordan Howard is going to be motivated against the Bears, then you don't know much <laughs> about anything. Um, and he's, you know, he's since he had his big game the other night, you know, he's he's continued to to be productive for them. I mean, I don't think he'd be any more productive than Montgomery with this offensive line, but I don't know. It's just uh, the postmortem on this game has been brutal. And I mean, I just hope, I personally, I hope the bears never play in London again. I mean, it, it's all fun and games with the, with the, you know, the fans and all the parties and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, just feels like the bears don't have any regular games anymore. You know, like, everything's a prime time or, a, you know, a nationally televised or, and I know that's the hard part about being good and being popular and being in a big market, but you know, can we just have like a regular week, a regular noon game, a regular, you know, uh, you know, without these other things involved. I mean, it just, it would be nice. It, it would be nice. So <clears throat> where do we go from here is the biggest question. The yeah. offensive, the offensive line is in a shambles. The running game is non-existent. Um, just today, you know, we talked earlier about bars being brought up from the practice squad, and they had a perfect opportunity because they released Tyler Bray today, which means. Trubisky's going to be back and probably starting next next Sunday. But instead of bringing bars up to the squad, you'll never guess who they brought back. Oh, the human merry-go-round that is Bradley Soul. I don't Absolutely. know. I mean, what a what a joke this that thing with him has become. The 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 big plan to convert him to a tight end. All he is is a walking, breathing practice squad transaction. You know, we talked a little bit about bars earlier today, and, and we made a slight mistake when we when we talked about his raise. He got a raise from being a, a standard uh, practice squad player to being paid the rookie minimum. The New England Patriots wanted to sign him, and if you sign somebody's practice squad member, you have to put them on their active roster. It by you you can't you can't stash him on the practice squad. Mm. So so he had a chance. Mars had a chance to go to the New England Patriots and be part of their 53-man squad, and he turned it down because he sees the opportunity in Chicago. So when is that opportunity going to happen? It obviously would have been a perfect scenario for the Bears to elevate Bars to the active roster when they released Bray. Now you're going to have to release somebody else to bring bars up to the roster. So are they going to, are they going to cut long? Because quite frankly, he hasn't been, he's been the worst guard in the league in terms of pass blocking and run blocking. Yeah. So are you, are you going to cut him? Are you going to ask him to retire? Are you going to you know, cut another promising guy that's behind him uh, in order to put bars on the on the roster? It was I the perfect opportunity. Or, or guess what? Is Bradley Soul going to get cut and put back on the practice squad when they bring bars up next week? Probably. There's a, you know, so 
something's got to happen. I'm not worried about the defense. And I don't think anybody listening to our, our podcast or on Bears Twitter are worried about the defense. It was it was one of those games. Every defense has one of those games. But offensively, we we're lost. You know, we keep on thinking or we keep on waiting and we keep on hearing Coach Nagy to, to say we need to find an identity. But they have gone backwards in five games this year. Not only do they they don't have an identity, they don't know what an identity is on offense, and I hate to say that. One of the things that, that I looked at earlier today on Twitter, somebody posted about first half, uh, how many runs by percentage of plays, and you know who actually has the least amount of of runs in terms of run pass ratio in the first half this year is Kansas City. Nobody's bitching about their running game. Okay. Patrick Mahomes has had two off games. He's only thrown only thrown one TD pass, uh, which is one more than Mitch Trubisky has this year. <laughs> if not, I, I, I lie. He had a couple back in, against Washington. But you get my point. Right. You know, He's had, and that's a bad, a bad couple of games for him. Well, he's had a banged up ankle, and he can't move around the pocket like he's used to doing. Uh, but you're not hearing any, any, you know, p- people waving the white flag uh, like they are in Cleveland right now. But, but yeah. yeah, my point is this: Trubisky's coming back. They need to find an identity. They need to utilize the middle of the field. They need to get the defensive front seven off the ball to create some running lanes for Montgomery. Mike Davis has been, what, he had three snaps? Did I hear that right? He had three snaps on offense the entire game in in London. Uh, Cohen's not running the ball with any authority. He goes backwards. Uh, you know, he's been relegated to basically a receiver. But we've had way too many penalties on offense. And we shoot ourselves in the foot more often than not with, with these gadget plays instead of running solid, fundamentally sound passing game and running attack. The last interception was a great pass pattern. It was great design and Javon Wims was wide open in the flat for an easy first down. In fact, when Miller ran a little bit deeper, the, the defensive back that was covering the side of the field where, where Wims had cut his pattern off short faded back into the pass coverage and was one of the guys that could have intercepted the ball. There was nobody in the middle of the field except for the guy that was, that was covering Allen Robinson. So if Wims catches that ball and breaks to the middle of the field, he could still be running. But we threw it to the wrong receiver, and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna say whether or not it was Daniel's bad throw or if it was Miller running his pattern too shallow. We're nobody's gonna point fingers and we're never gonna know. But the fact of the matter is is on his read, as soon as he took his last step, 
and then he kind of pumped. He kind of hesitated. He Daniel had to see that that the defensive back was laying off whims, and that's where the ball should have gone, and it didn't. Mitch Trubisky's coming back next week, and we can only hope that he is the quarterback we saw in the first nine games of last year, and not the last five games of last year. Yeah, I mean it's it's just frustrating, and I think the shine has come off of uh, Nagy in terms of as an offensive guy. I mean, I think I I feel I still feel confident in his leadership ability and and um, him as a coach, but I think I mean. He, he, you know, anybody that, that sits here and goes, oh, this is some offensive genius right now. I mean, the, the Bears have have so rarely scored more than 20 points in Nagy's time as head coach. I mean, you just can't really, you know, you can't really say that that's the case. I mean, we're, we're 28th in the league in offense for points and 30th for yards. Uh, you know, they played five games and they have 927 passing yards. Like it's it's just it's ridiculous. We have six passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns on the year in five games. And like, one defensive touchdown. Right, and the <laughs> offense is the like to call the offense bad is just is is an understatement. They are brutal. I mean, they are they are absolutely horrendous. It's one of the worst Bears offenses that, and to, and this is a big statement. It's one of the worst Bears offenses ever. Like, you know, like I just, and it's just bizarre to me to have a team that was so that's so talented, and we talked about all off season how great it was going to be to see all these weapons and all this stuff. And I mean, yeah, the offensive line is playing bad. And Olin Kurtz, you know, this morning tweeted that. You know, it's not just the offensive line, the running backs, the quarterbacks, the tight ends haven't been good. And I said, well, I replied to him. I said, it's kind of hard to imagine any of those other three groups being good with the offensive line playing as bad as it is. I mean, you know, how could did you? He, did he answer you? No, he didn't answer me. <laughs> I would have but, loved to hear the answer for that one. But it's just like, you know, it's like when it's convenient, and I love Olin, but when it's convenient, they talk about everything goes off of the offensive line, you know, and then he's been as critical of the offensive line as anybody, but then it's like, okay, well, now he's he wants to remind everybody that everybody else sucks too. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, but, I mean, aren't you the first one to tell you tell us that the offensive line is so important and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, the, you know, it's like last year, I, I don't know. My thing with the running backs, too, is it's like, okay, maybe, you know, the decision to get rid of Howard, I wasn't necessarily against. But to bring in Mike Davis, who I felt pretty good about, and have him be basically, uh, you know, not part of the – I mean, he's on the field less than take one Mizell was. And you paid him – you paid him decent money. They could have kept Jordan Howard – and had David Montgomery and Jordan Howard, and that would be a much better situation than what we have now. I mean, Mike Davis is basically, I know his father died and whatever, but, like, he's basically not on the team, and he's making, you know, $2 million, and that's what Jordan Howard would have been making. Um, So I just, you know, it's like, yay, we get some fifth-round pick. Maybe it looks like if Jordan Howard plays enough, to get up to a fifth round pick, which it looks like is probably going to happen. But, you know, I just, I mean, it's, it's, I can't put my finger on it. And I don't think that Nagy can either. Um, 
And I don't think it's play calling either. I'm getting a little annoyed with everybody just acting like they're the geniuses of play calling. I mean, I think he's, I think Nagy has made adjustments. He's dumbed things down. He's cut down the formations. He's cut down the motion. He's cut down a lot of things. They're just not executing. They're not beating the people in front of them. Uh, and there's, you know, and even Montgomery has missed opportunities to, to run into holes. I mean, you know, uh, he certainly made the best of what he can, but he's a rookie. I mean, the guy's a rookie, you know. Um, I don't know. I just, it's so, it's, it's, it's so frustrating. It's like, you know, we had no kicker, and now we have a kicker, and now we have no offense, you know. Like, we just can never, in Chicago, we just can never have all of it, you know. <laughs> like, it's always got to be something where, you know, there's this glaring hole on the team. And it was it's a hole that none of us expected, Aaron, and that's right. the biggest dilemma of all. Right. When when you look at you know, at the beginning of the year, we both sat here and pondered what the Bears record was going to be, and we kind of came up with a consensus of thirteen and three. They're they're not gonna they're not gonna hit thirteen wins this year. There's no. there is no possible way. Look at look at the schedule that they have to play. This is why my earlier comment, it, it just gets nailed home in mm. that every game is important. Okay. The Green Bay game was winnable. They had the Oakland game in their back pocket but let up a 97-yard touchdown drive after the, they dominated the third quarter. So you can't give me the excuse that the defense was gassed. They, they, you can't. I, I just don't buy it. But they let them let that game get away. Now they have a bye week. Then they have to play 11 straight games. They play Sunday the 20th against the Saints. They play. Well, at least we get some Sunday games. Yeah. Now we get Sunday. Uh, finally, a noon start against, but it's against the Chargers. Then they have to play another noon game at Philadelphia. Then they have a noon game at home against Detroit. Then they have to go to Los Angeles, okay, and that's a Sunday night primetime game. Then they they come back and they play the Giants. Then they're on Thanksgiving at Detroit, and Detroit has been, along with San Francisco, one of the biggest surprises in the NFC so far this year. Then they play the following Thursday on a Thursday night game at home against Dallas, then they get a 10 day they get 10 days off before they go up to Green Bay and then they have a Sunday night game against Kansas City and then they finish the year in Minnesota. <clears throat> and they got to win at least they got to go 7 and 4. Yep. To be a to, to be a 10 and 6 team and you know can you can you pick seven games out of that schedule that they're that they're declared there's one the New York Giants, the game against the New York Giants is one game in those remaining 11 where the, they're the clear favorite, the clear right. favorite. And even that, Saquon Barkley is probably going to be back. Um, are the nemesis of the Bears, Golden Tates, probably going to be playing. 
uh, Evan Ingram. I mean, you know, it's so it's not, I mean, you know, it's not a gimme. The only thing that, that, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not giving up hope by any stretch of imagination. I don't think you are either, but the, the only thing that really buoys me is this is a week to week league. Every team can beat every other team, uh, you know, except for maybe the Patriots and the, the, the Patriots seem to be immune to that. And the Dolphins, are you know probably not going to beat anybody, but maybe maybe this week versus the Redskins, the Dolphins have some kind of a chance. Um, but otherwise, it's a week-to-week league. I mean, I don't think anybody thought that the Packers were going to go into Dallas and dominate them the way that they did. Um, and Dallas's season is not over. You know, um, everybody was you know picking the Browns to be uh, you know something, and and they look you know they look quite. Quite bad. I mean, most of the AFC, to be honest, looks bad. You know, um, I mean, the Raiders. From New England. Correct. <laughs> and they're like on this island of, you know, their own. But, I mean, you know, the, the. So, I still believe that with the defense, which I think will be fine, and hopefully, hopefully, Mitch Trubisky can come back. And they get back to the stuff that they were trying in the Washington game. And then they, you know, get something going. Um, You know, there's a lot of smart people uh, involved, although I'm not really sure what some of them are doing. I mean, we've heard about Brad Childress, this offensive, uh, you know, consultant, assistant, head coach, person, I don't know what he does. Um, you know, he stand is supposedly the second greatest offensive line coach on earth, you know, behind Skarnickia in New England. I'm not sure. You know, he's not he's not getting the job done. Um, you know, Helfrich and Nagy and their offensive genius is yet is, is MIA. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just uh, I hope that these players and these coaches over this time period you know, come out, but they certainly do not have an easy task against the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater is playing great. Saints defense is playing great. They got one of the best running backs in the league. They have one of the best receivers in the league in Kamara and Thomas. And, you know, it's just not going to be an easy game. That being said, it wouldn't surprise me if the Bears beat the Saints. Absolutely not. It would not surprise me. Um, But it's... uh, they got a tall, tall task, and it's hard. It's people are bringing up last year, you know, and I'm not like one of these people to put too much weight into strength of schedule, but they have the hardest schedule remaining. Teams that they're facing are over 62% win percentage right now, um, and I just, you know, I don't even, I don't know. It's it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. I'm not sure if. Uh, if uh, they can right the ship, um, you know, I still think 10 and 6 is a reality. I'd be have a hard time picking any better than that at this point, though. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, after five weeks in the NFL, if, well, let, let, me, let me rephrase the question. If I were to have asked you, at the beginning of the year, that after five weeks in the NFL, that there would be 11 teams, 11 teams in the NFC that have a winning record, would you have believed me? 
Uh, yeah, probably not. I mean, I think the a- NFC has overachieved and the AFC so far has underachieved or has been disappointing. Here's the teams that have the same or better record than the Bears after five weeks. And all four NFC North teams are in this group. Dallas, Philadelphia, Green Bay, Detroit, Chicago, Minnesota, New Orleans, Carolina, San Francisco, and then Seattle and Los Angeles. Los Angeles is in third place in the NFC West. Who would have thought that after they went to the uh, Super Bowl last year? Yeah, well, 49ers 49ers are running the ball 200 yards a game right now. But when they get chunks of 83 on one play, it's impressive. (laughs) So, so, So I ask you, okay, of those 11 teams, who's got the best shot to make the Super Bowl? So you go first. Um... It's hard to bet against the quarterbacks, so I would have to say I would I, I, I may I'm gonna cheat and I would have to say that the Seahawks and the Packers are the two teams that okay. I trust the most in the playoffs because of Russell. Okay, Wilson. so pick one. But but we're pick one. All right. Up. I'm picking pick I will take I will take the Seahawks. I will take the Seahawks. So you've got you've got Seattle. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm going to take the Saints. So that's number two. You're next. You got Dallas, Philadelphia, Green Bay, Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, Carolina, the 49ers, and the Rams. Who's who so would be after, the next one? Uh, I would probably. Uh, I just I have to take the Packers then. Okay. So you're going to take Green Bay, and that's not a that's not a bad choice. Um, I would have to say um, the Rams, even though they're third right now, and in San Francisco is undefeated. I, I got to go. I got to go with the Rams. So that's four of the eleven off the board. In Chicago, hasn't been mentioned yet. Who's next? Uh, I would probably say the Cowboys. Okay. So that's Dallas. I would go, you know, Philadelphia always plays tough the second half of the year. So I'm going to go with Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. All right. So you've got Detroit, Chicago, Minnesota, Carolina, and San Francisco. Uh, Give me the 49ers. Okay, so all right, I'm gonna take the Bears. Mm-hmm. Okay, which means one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams came off the board in terms of who we think have have a shot to win the Super Bowl or at least go to the Super Bowl, where at the beginning of the year we were thinking that. The Bears had as good a chance as anybody to be the the NFC representative in the Super Bowl after five games. Yeah. You know, when you take a look around, and this is this is kind of disturbing. Uh, 
and it's it's bear fans. So uh, bear fans tend to be on and off uh, a bandwagon more than than most uh, teams that I I follow around Twitter. But you know, there's been talk of we need to trade for Josh Rosen, Nick Foles, and Eli Manning. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> Tom Brady can't be successful behind this offensive line. Yeah. And you want to trade for an immobile quarterback like like Eli Manning? Yeah. Somebody said that uh, somewhere along the line, uh, one of the talking heads said that uh, the Bears actually reached out to the Giants for, and discussed Eli Manning. I don't buy it at all. There's absolutely no possible reason to talk about Eli Manning. First of all, he's not going to um, – he's got a no-trade clause in his contract, so he's not going to uh, waive that no-trade clause. And second of all, uh, he's not familiar with Matt Nagy at all. Right. So, and he's not mobile. You, you take one look at that uh, offensive line, and if, if I had a choice of retiring – or get behind that offensive line if I was Eli Manning. <laughs> right. Guess, yeah, you got, you got two rings. Guess which option I'm taking. I, yeah. I, I already got two rings. I got all the money I need. And if my choice was either be out of a job or, or be the Bears. As as I am as Eli I'm retiring, dude. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, nobody is more passionate about this team than than me and I'm not taking anything friend Bragzy uh, from Bear Bellissimo uh, from Bobby Bombs you know and all the likes of those guys they're they're incredible passionate fa- Bears girl love Bears but I don't ever ever in my wildest imagination what I have thought that after five weeks, we're talking about such disarray on the Bears' offense as we're talking about today. It's pathetic. I mean, there's no other way to, to say it. It's just pathetic. I mean, I don't, I, you know. Uh, and the thing is, they don't, you know, and I, I think any ideas of any, you know, greatness from the offense are out the window. We just want to. I mean, we joked about it the other day that we're we've we're just we're chasing decent. We're not chasing great. So, you know, let's you know let's figure out a way to to just move the ball. What I hope is that they come back and Trubisky plays and just let the kid play. Uh, don't make him a game manager. Don't make him uh, you know just do enough to win the game. Let him let him cut it loose. Let roll him out. Let him do what he does. Let him run the ball. Let's just see what he's got. I mean, you, you know, I'd rather have him throw a 50-yard or a 40-yard interception than go three and out the way they've been going with these negative drives. I mean, honestly, like, just just let the kid play, you know, and, I mean, let's just see what the hell we have. I mean, what do you got to lose? You know, because I just – I don't see us – Chase Daniels not winning any playoff games. Chase Daniels not getting us to the playoffs. Um, you know, unfortunately, they don't. The the pace has not drafted any quarterbacks. You know, he should have drafted a quarterback. 
I mean, the Patriots draft quarterbacks every single year. I said this on the other show, and it was brought up that at one point the Patriots had Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett on the same roster as Tom Brady. They have Tom Brady, and yet they continue to draft quarterbacks. They don't even have high draft picks, and yet they continue to realize that it's important to draft and develop quarterbacks. Chicago hasn't had a good quarterback since Sid Luckman, and we don't think it's a good idea to have any developmental quarterbacks around. You know, and, um, you know, and you look at the around the league, Kyle Allen, Gardner Minshew, you know, all these guys come up and they look great and they play great. And, you know, we got a coach on the field. That's like, okay, cool. I like Chase Daniel. He's actually been, you know, pretty serviceable, but like, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just like same as it ever was. The bears have no quarterback. We have a defense and here we are. Um, oh, that being said, I, I, I think that they can, you know, they certainly can win every game on their schedule left, but realistically and intellectually, it's hard to imagine them doing that. Um, you know, so it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a long, long, uh, week of, you know, uh, just, I mean, they, they as Waddle and Sylvie put up a poll yesterday that said, you know, is the, are, do you think Trubisky's the franchise quarterback for the Bears? And there's like 10,000 votes, and 75% of the people said no. Well, you do live in the city of Chicago, Aaron, and the the most favorite Bears on any roster is always the reserve quarterback. Yeah. Uh, nobody ever thinks that the Bears have a franchise quarterback, and that goes, you can all go all the way back to the days of, of Billy Wade. It just, mm-hmm. It's just everybody roots for the for the the backup quarterback. It's it's a it's a shame, you know. You you mentioned you know we're we're trying to we're not chasing great. We're just trying to chase average. Is that what you said? Chasing decent. Chasing decent. <laughs> yeah. You know, which would be a big upgrade from the fact that the only thing that they have chased so far offensively is ineptitude. Mm-hmm. You know, and yep. that's a. a and I, I promise you, going into this year, in my worst dreams, I never thought we would be saying that after five games. No. But but here we are. You know, the, people are going to go back and point to the fact that the Bears were three and two last year, and they lost, uh, and they only want, ended up losing one game after that and finished, you know, twelve and four. But the two games that they lost were games that they should have won. Those last two games were Miami and New York, mm-hmm. and they should have they should have won both of those games. Um, you know, we were you know uh, sadly enough we were a Cody Parkey kick away from winning both of those games, and we just didn't get it done. Or the, we I keep on saying we I'm sorry I'm not a member of the team. Sorry. The Bears. <laughs> the I, I hate when people say that. Nah, the, the, the Bears just didn't get it done last year, and now they're put into a situation where just because of the way these teams are playing coming up, their schedule, yeah, is tougher than it was last year because they played some real, you know, Detroit was a dog. Minnesota was a dog. So, you know, we we faced a lot of teams that were having subpar years last year, and that's not the case. 
Mm. You know, we still have to play Kansas City, and we still have to play San Diego in the, in the West, and then we still have to play Philadelphia and Dallas in the East. We still have to play, you know, two games against Detroit, who's been a huge surprise. And can honestly say that without a problem, the Bears are going to sweep Detroit. I can't. They already proved that they can't beat Green Bay, and they have to go into and up to Green Bay to, to face them on their turf in December. And, you know, if, if the Vikings are out of it, they, they got a good shot of beating the Vikings again. Uh, they seem to have, Nagy at least seems to have, um, Kirk Cousins' number. So it's it's a tough, they've put themselves in a tough position coming off the bye week. Detroit is back. The one, the one good thing is, is, is Detroit plays Green Bay uh, on Sunday, is it, I believe it's Sunday night, or maybe it's Monday. I think it's a Monday night game. So both of those teams can't win which is a good thing. So, yeah, but there, there's some hope that, that you know, the NFC North teams ahead of us can't get too far ahead of us. And we've got, we still have a, a, a chance to, to right the ship, but we're not going to right any ship until the offensive line gets fixed. Yeah. I, pro- I promise you that. Yep, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, every every game's an opportunity. You know, they just got to take it, you know, they got to do all the cliches. They got to take it one game at a time. They got to take it one play at a time, one series at a time. You know, I just hope that, uh, you know, I hope that uh, they can, you know, I don't. we don't know how long Akeem Hicks is going to be back. Hopefully Bilal Nichols looks like he's close to coming back. Um, and I uh, hope Mitch Trubisky comes back. I mean, you know, even if nothing else, like I said, we just need to see this kid get a shot to do it. You know, uh, I, like I said, I don't want to see him go out there and they try to make him into a game manager because at the end of the day, like, what is that going to get us? I don't think it's going to win us any anything, you know. I, mean, I, I agree a thousand percent, Aaron. They got to just let him play the game. They, you know Get into this rhythm uh, offense that mm-hmm. they've played around with a little bit. I don't care if they throw one pass, or I'm sorry, if they if they play one rushing attempt in the first quarter when they come back against New Orleans and just push and push and push and push the ball down the field. Uh, Trey Burton hasn't been used hardly at all. Miller's got a little bit, hopefully, Gabriel will come back from concussion protocol in two weeks and get him back. And then one of the things that I really loved about Javon Wims in the preseason was he was exploiting the middle of the field. And he hasn't been close to the middle of the field at all so far this year. And that's what yeah. they need to do. They, they need to push the ball downfield. They need to exploit zones in the middle of the field. They need to get Trey Burton utilized. I'm still waiting to see a trips formation to the right where the interior receiver runs a wheel route around the two guys on the outside that are running post patterns. Because that was wide open. You know, one of the things... Well, that's why they. I think they missed Taylor Gabriel a ton in that game. Yeah, I think they, they did. But, you know, we talked about Nagy t- saying... Let's work with plays that work. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the plays that was absolutely money for them often last year was Gabriel, I'm sorry, Tariq Cohen mm-hmm. as a running back and then running a wheel route on a delay when he had a linebacker on. And we haven't seen that yet. We have not seen Gabriel line up as a running back that I can recall and pretend like he's going to be there for pass protection and then run a delayed wheel route to to the outside. We haven't seen it. That play was money for the Bears several times. In fact, that's what almost won them the game against the, the Giants when they forced overtime. Yep. And we're not we're not seeing we're not seeing the plays that worked last year work this year. We're not even seeing the plays being run this year. Mitch Trubisky led the entire league last year with completions that traveled more than 50 yards in the air. Led the league. And we're talking everybody loves Mahomes and all those other guys. They haven't thrown the ball more than 50 yards down There's no the field protection. Yet. He can't even <laughs> he's got no protection. He can't he, there's no time to even get the guys down the field. I mean every team is yep. now gun every team's now gunning for us. Every team watched the whole year of tape on Nagy and Trubisky. The offensive line is playing like crap. We have no running game. I mean, if it wasn't for Allen Robinson and Eddie Pinheiro and this defense, they would they could easily be one and four. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a miracle that we're three and two. It's 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 on the backs of the defense and Eddie Pinheiro and Allen Robinson. That's what that's what we're you know that's uh, uh, that's what we're looking at. Otherwise, I mean, this team could be you know looking at draft picks. <laughs> And not even our own draft picks, because we're still going to give up our first-round pick, which I'm fine with. But you know, it's not like it's not like if the Bears sucked. We go, well, at least we have a high pick. No, <laughs> we gave that up. So it's uh, I don't know. And I I I I I think that we still have a lot to to feel good about. That the team overall is still pretty good, but they gotta they gotta get you know get things going. Um, and they gotta they gotta get it going quickly. So Amen. Well, that caps off this week's episode of Halitech Hall, folks. Uh, we will be back next week. Les Wolfong is joining us uh, for our show, and we're going to talk a little bit about hopefully a lot of what we talked about today, and the changes hopefully that we have seen and heard about between now and next week. So uh, really looking forward to uh, our guest next week. This guy is, uh, he writes for the Windy City Gridiron. And if you haven't read his work, you're just not a Bears fan. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's one of the best there is at what he does. And we are absolutely thrilled to have him come on next week. So uh, until next week, uh, Aaron, it's always a pleasure. Hopefully we won't see Green Bay. Who are you going to root for? Green Bay or Detroit? Uh, I'm going to root. Pick your poison. I'm I'm rooting for the Lions. <laughs> I, I have to. I don't lesser, want to, but I, I think they're the lesser of two evils at this point. You, I couldn't have said it any better. So <laughs> is, uh, is Minnesota on a bye week this week? 
I can't remember. Uh, I think they play. I'm going to look it up real quick. So, uh, no, they uh, they host the Eagles. Yeah. So, so uh, we, we got to root for the Eagles again. We got to root for the Eagles. We got to root for the Lions. Um, but you know, Minnesota is, is is playing tough. You know, they got beat. Yeah, they by, bounced back. They bounced back. I mean, they were they that, that team was in absolute disarray, and they bounced back. I mean, you know, it wasn't against a good team, but whatever. You got to beat. Got to beat teams you're supposed to beat. So from Andrew, where they were. Where they were after the Bears game to, you know, feeling decent about themselves is, you know. Uh, you know, and Kirk Cousins just lit it up. You know, there was a there was a lot of sniping by Diggs and Thielen mm-hmm. uh, after the Bears game, and they absolutely turned it around. And, and um, you know, they, what, they put up 28 points against a bad Giants team. Yep. So, uh, yep. and even, and it was a road game. To boot. Yep. So, so uh, go Eagles, go Lions. <laughs> yeah. And un, un, oh, and, hey, do we have uh, a contest going on? Your, we do. Uh, t- we, on the tailgate? We do. We're going to be giving away, courtesy of Tick Splits, tickets to the Bears Chargers game. Um, so basically, um, we have one part of it's going to be a little bit of a clue game. Uh, where the first part of the clue is that you have to go and you have to figure out what sandwich uh, we talked about on the tailgate show um, a while back. And then uh, we need to come up with another um, clue um, that that they need to listen to Halitech Hall to find out. And I'll, I'll figure out what that is after we put this episode out. Um, and then they're going to have to uh, send us those answers, and then we'll pick somebody um, to win those tickets courtesy of TickSplits. And uh, TickSplits has given out... Uh, tickets to uh, every game, this every home game this season so far. So it's a, it's awesome. Absolutely, we are so proud to have TickSplits as our sponsor. They do not charge any service fees, which means you can get better seats closer to the action and pay the same money that you would at other sites. Uh, that by the time you add up the service fees, you're back up in the nosebleed section. So. Uh, they have $6 billion of tickets on their website every day. Uh, and it's just not the NFL. It's every single sporting event you can imagine. I mean, the you know, NASCAR starting in February, bull riding. Uh, the list goes Indianapolis 500, all of your college sports. Uh, and then we haven't even started talking about what they have as far as concerts. So all the big names, even the little names. Uh, you know, sports, concerts, Broadway shows, Vegas shows, music festivals. Uh, it's your truly a one-stop shop that you can go to uh, your app store, whether you're on Google or Apple, and download the TickSplits app directly to your phone and uh, and enjoy the savings. So thank you, TickSplits, for, for sponsoring us. They also sponsor... Uh, the, the tailgate show they sponsor a couple other shows out there in, in beers twitter and uh, uh, hop on board guys you know why why waste your money uh tick splits just announced that now through the end of november 50 percent of their proceeds will be donated to the paralyzed veterans of america organization 
it, it truly, uh, it's just an unbelievable gesture on their part. So help support paralyzed veterans uh, by just buying tickets at TickSplits.com. With that, I'm Michael Halitek. I'm so proud to have my co-host and producer, Aaron Torricelli, with me every week. And until next week, bear down.